You're listening to the Vox Media Podcast Network. Hey, this is Ariel Hawani, host of the MMA Hour on the Vox Media Podcast Network. Each week, we interview the biggest names in the world of mixed martial arts and beyond. So tune in live every Monday at 1 p.m. Eastern over at MMAfighting.com or download the show afterwards on iTunes, Stitcher, SoundCloud, and wherever you get your podcast. We'll see you then. Welcome back to the Limited Upside Podcast. I'm Mike Prada, and this time for Team Community number 28 of 30, the Houston Rockets. 55 wins last year, a lot of fun, great James Harden, MVP push, and then they get Chris Paul, by the way. And how is that going to work? Boy, that seems really fun. We talked to two members of SB Nation's Rocket site, The Dream Shake. We talked to Ethan Rothstein, the editor-in-chief, Jeremy Brenner, contributor for the site. And they're very excited about Chris Paul and James Harden. I'm a little more nervous, just because I don't know how well that those guys will mesh. But early returns sure seem promising in the preseason. And we talk about that. We talk about the rest of the roster. We talk about why Clint Capella is probably the key to the season in their minds. And we talk about how this team matches up with the Warriors, because ultimately that's what they're trying to do, beat the Warriors. And we talk a little bit about all the other good stuff. We talk about the banana boats. We talk about some predictions, some random predictions. We talk a bit about the wing rotation. Uh, we talk about lighter topics. And we play a game called Can You Name All the Players That Daryl Morey Traded For In Order To Land Chris Paul? I'm not sure you can. It was really hard for us, and we follow this thing real closely. This is the Limited Upside Podcast. We're part of the Vox Media Podcast Network. You can find us on Apple Podcasts. Leave us a review. We appreciate all the support that we've been getting uh, in the iTunes uh, with Apple Podcast reviews. We love the five stars. We love hearing that we're doing a great job. But, of course, we also like to hear constructive criticism if you think that there are things we can do better. It's better for you to tell us those things constructively, of course, than to keep them to yourself. We hope you continue to enjoy the show. You can also find us anywhere else you get your podcasts on Spotify, Stitcher, Google Play, and SBNation.com. And also, quick little plug, check out SBNation's NBA preview that dropped on Thursday, including... It's a pink preview for the Houston Rockets and several other really awesome things. That's on the site, SPNation.com. We hope you enjoy that. We hope you enjoy this. Team preview number 28 of 30. The season's almost here and we're almost done with these. This is the Limited Upside Podcast. Limited Upside Podcast Team Preview, number 28 of 30. This team was good last year, the Houston Rockets. We've got two guests on from The Dream Shake, SB Nation's Rocket site, Ethan Rothstein and Jeremy Brenner. Uh, how you guys doing? We good? We feeling good about the Rockets? I think it's hard not to feel good about the Rockets right now. Feeling great. I don't know how. Yeah, same thing. They're 4-0 in the preseason. They have two Hall of Famers on their team. Hard to, hard to feel anything other than excitement. Yeah, this is probably the deepest team I've seen the Rockets have uh, since I've followed the team. So, uh, yeah, it's it's really hard not to. It's a easy time to be a uh, Houston sports fan right now. So, thanks for having us on, Mike. Yeah, no, thanks for coming on. And it's funny we, I had this thought in my head like, oh, that last year's Rockets team, like that was fun to watch. That was nice and cute. That was like a good, interesting, sustainable team that built was built well together. Boy, was I naive to think that Daryl Moore would rest on those laurels. <laughs> Chris Chris Paul is a Houston Rocket. I want your honest reaction, Ethan and Jeremy. What were you, did you really think that that trade had any chance of happening when you heard the rumors? Uh, not really. I mean, the rumors were that the Rockets were going to sign him, right? I mean, that's what I remember from, like, from June is people saying, could Chris Paul go to the Rockets? And it just seemed like... It didn't make too much sense because the Rockets didn't have cap space and, you know, the fit was an obvious, you know, it was an obvious cause for pause, I guess. Um, but, um, <laughs> well done. <laughs> uh, thank you. Thank you. Uh, but, uh, you know, I really, when I, when I read all this stuff, it made much more sense for the Rockets to go after, you know, a wing player. Uh, you know, we had tar- targeted maybe, talking about maybe Paul Millsap as like a Ryan Anderson um, replacement in, in free agency, even though he wasn't, uh, you know, really rumored. 
but I, I didn't really have any expectation of Chris Paul signing with the Rockets because I didn't think a trade was even feasible at that point. Yeah, they had no cap space. They, they almost had negative cap space because, I mean, obviously, literally they did, but they had toxic contracts, you know, long contracts. And then, I don't know, I, I guess I just got really naive where it's like, yeah, they have a nice team. Like, why are they trying to mess with it? And it's like, well, these are the Houston Rockets. This is Daryl Morey. Like, this is what they do. But Chris Paul, I mean, Jeremy, it sounded like really knew what he was doing here to try to make this happen. This was probably as much a Chris Paul move as it was a Daryl Morey move. Absolutely. So I'm, I'm probably, I stand Patrick Beverly and I never thought I would see the day where Patrick Beverly wasn't wearing a Rockets uniform. So I was very against it at first. Hmm. Um, but thinking about it and also for the fact that James Harden led the league in assists last year and you bring a guy like Chris Paul, who also is a guy that, you know, he's a point guard. You really, you got two of, I want to say the top three, four, five point guards in the game right now on the Rockets. And so I'm surprised that, you know, when they added Chris Paul, it was like, oh, well, I guess is James going back to the two? Is he, is Chris Paul going to play the two? Like that was a little bit of a, of a surprise there. And Patrick Beverly fits so well next to James Harden because yeah, James Harden, who was, you know, the offense, the lead of the team, the keys to the offense were in James's hands. And Patrick Beverly was a good compliment to that because he was the defensive side to it. Well, the only player that can possibly be uh, slightly the same level of a guard and of a defensive guard is Chris Paul. So I don't necessarily think the Rockets got better from the defensive point at the guard, but they certainly didn't get worse by replacing uh, Beverly with Chris Paul. So um, it really, it, it's now finally starting to hit me now that we're watching preseason games with Chris Paul wearing number three for the Rockets. So, um, but it's happening. Chris Paul's a rocket man, and it's crazy. I mean, it's definitely nuts. And uh, you hit at sort of the central tension uh, as you first thought about this, which is like there was something about last year's Rockets team that it just fit together. It was James Harden carrying a bunch of guys built perfectly for James Harden's style of play, you know, in terms of him putting up numbers and them being effective. Like they were just a fun, pleasant surprise. And there's something about pleasant surprises that are enjoyable, you know, and this is, of course, a franchise that the previous year was so mopey. They didn't get along chemistry-wise. They had more, probably more pure talent in two years ago, but it just fits so much better. So you would think that that was, I guess in my head, I'm thinking like, okay, so now the Rockets are one of those teams and one of those types of teams. And then it's like, oh, no, we're going back to the load up on talent and suit slam stars together thing. And that... As, was there any part of you that was a little bit like sort of taken aback by that, or was did that kind of all die when James Harden has his horrible game six and they in the playoffs and they have no answer, and then you realize, oh yeah, that's why that team was so limited. I mean, it's this year I feel is very different than the previous Daryl Morey uh, strategies of him kind of being the, the puppet master of okay. uh, of of moving people around because this was really started from the players, which I think is. Um, you know, as soon as the trade happened and then, you know, kind of the postmortems came out about um, how it all went down, you know, basically Daryl Morey gets a call from Chris Paul's agent saying, like, he wants to come to Houston, like, make it happen. Um, and Daryl Morey being, you know, the best GM in the league as he is, pulled off just a whirlwind of all these trades for minimum contracts to make it happen. Wait, here's a really good quiz, by the way. Do you think, can you name every single player that Daryl Morey acquired uh <laughs> on a, on those non-guaranteed contracts to make room oh, for man. Chris Paul. I actually, this is a game I just thought of. Let's play it. I don't think I could uh, get this. I can I can start, Jeremy. We can we can alternate. But uh, sure. I know Sean Long is one of them. Sean Long, Tim Quarterman, who's in camp with us. Yeah. Okay. Uh, Darun Hilliard, I believe. Darren from, Hilliard from Detroit. Yeah. And then Jared Uthoff from Dallas. Yeah, they got him. They, he didn't. He didn't go over in the trade. Um, yeah, <laughs> no, it's to, hard. It's kind of amazing. How many were there? Now that I'm trying to figure out. I think, how, I think there were seven. I think that's it. Because those might have been like the three people they they added. You know, and there were yeah. so many moving parts that were already on the roster. Um, let's see. I think I have the list here. Um, DeAndre Liggins. Oh, Liggins. DeAndre Liggins. Ryan Kelly. From Atlanta, 
Oh yeah, yeah. Ryan Kelly. Um, there was at least <laughs> one other person that went to Houston to LA. Um, yeah, Kyle Wiltshire. I guess he was already on the team. Yeah, he was. Uh, subject of New York Times profile, Kyle Wiltshire. <laughs> This is a, you know how like Sporkle, you can go on there and just like find these quizzes. Like this would be really, really good quiz. Just name every single player that they acquired to use to, to help make the Chris Paul trade happen. That was amazing. <laughs> just as a transactional moment. Uh, that's a short aside. You can continue with the point you're making. Uh, I mean, yeah, but, but regardless, I mean, the Dwight Howard, James Harden combination was a fiasco, but at no point was James Harden going to, uh, Daryl Morey during that during the recruitment period and saying like you know I really want him here I think we can play well together Dwight Howard chose Houston but he chose Houston thinking that he would be the superstar um, and it and it didn't work out uh, now you know Chris Paul is at a much different point in his career than Dwight Howard was you know he's been the guy and it hasn't really worked for him in the way that he's wanted and the same thing of James Harden so I think that you know they're honest with each other about probably the I, I believe you know I'm not there with them but they they spent all summer together uh playing with each other which uh Harden and Howard didn't do when Harden Howard signed there um and I think they both acknowledge that to get to the place where they want to go it's going to take mutual sacrifice rather than you know each guy being on their own side of the locker room saying this is what I want you to do to make me successful now they're talking to each other and saying this is what we need to do together to be successful so that's what I think is the real difference it does not have the same feeling of Daryl Morey assembling talent without regards to chemistry. Um, he said last year that he was kind of done with that, that he knew that, um, you know, it was time to really build, um, to build a locker room with good guys. And when you think about the other pieces that he, he brought on um, who are new to the Rockets this year, you know, PJ Tucker, uh, Mba Mute, these are people that, you know, by all accounts are great locker room presences. They're not Josh Smith and Michael Beasley. I mean, these are hard nosed, Dudes who uh, you know who uh, who have been part of winning cultures um, in the league for you know in the case of Mbamute a long time and PJ Tucker you know he's he's been, he was unfortunately on a lot of crappy Phoenix teams but you know he went to the Raptors last year and had a, had a great run for a team that uh, that that went deep into the playoffs so I, th- I just it feels different and it feels a lot more solid this time than the other Mori experiments. Yeah, I think Ethan kind of hit on the head, but I guess basically. What we learned after Kevin Durant went to Golden State, this is Golden State's league, and we're all just living in it. And I think Daryl Morey really started a domino effect that really um, set the tone for the league this year. And um, I think we're living in this era now where it's, you know, get, get your guys team up and become part of the arms race. And that's what uh, Daryl Morey said. He's either you're in the arms race or you're on the sideline. And, uh, I think Daryl Morey saw an opportunity where he had a 55-win team last year, but by no means was it a championship team. And I think this year he's doing all he can to try to challenge the Warriors, and that's really what the Rocket season is going to be about from start to end, is that can this team challenge the Warriors? And I'm not sure if we're there yet. Maybe there's a deal or two... uh, come February that um, will maybe make this team take another step in that direction. But I honestly think it's for the teams that are trying to challenge the Warriors, the four all-star Warriors, I think the Rockets are one of the two teams, in my opinion, that are the closest to challenging the Warriors, I'd say right now. Yeah, we'll talk a little bit more about that uh matchup because obviously like you said that everybody's chasing golden state and daryl morey is not one to sit out an arms race uh that's for sure um let's just hit the big question right here can these guys i mean you hit on it a little bit you talked about how that they're motivated to play well together they're at a certain stage of their career they played in drew league pickup games over the summer so and then they've also it's it's kind of been funny reading stuff out of houston this camp where it's like you ask these you ask this question to all of them and they just kind of look at it seems like that they look at you or they're talking to you like you have seven heads like this is just not a concern for them but i think it is the big concern the big question of the team is okay so you got one guy who likes to dribble a lot and another guy who likes to dribble a lot with a coach that is best when there's one ball handler and he doesn't necessarily have these headaches of kind of keeping people happy he hasn't had the best history there mike d'antoni 
is how is this going to work? You know, why is, early returns are certainly promising. But I mean, is this, are you as little as are you as concerned as in not concerned about this as the Rockets organization seems to be? I, I think I am as, not as concerned. The, the D'Antoni dynamic is is interesting because he, like you said, he's he's only ever been really effective when he has kind of a one point guard to to whisper sweet nothings to and not have to worry about really any, anyone else and relying on that point guard to distribute the ball and keep everyone else on the team happy like like what happened last year. Everyone was happy. Everyone got tons of shots. Harden led the league in assists and it was wonderful. Um, but, you know, like I said, he has player buy-in. Um, the, uh, watching the Rockets preseason, it's really amazing. You know, Harden's doing the same thing where he plays the entire first quarter. Chris Paul goes out, you know, with a few minutes left, and it's Harden, Gordon, you know, Ariza, uh, you know, one of the another wing guy and, and uh, you know, a big man. And then Chris Paul comes in, and the entire kind of dynamic of the team changes, but not really in a, you know, but almost for the better because the pace slows down a little bit. Um, you know, the, the turnovers go down, but the defense ratchets up and then Harden and Harden comes back. Um, the, the offense picks up a little bit. Um, the defense tends not to fall off, at least in the preseason so far. So it's created this great dynamic where they each are able to get in a rhythm on their own and then, you know, mesh well back to get mesh well again uh, when they when they play together. And they're doing a great job of kind of driving and and, it, you know, if they don't get right to the basket, just kicking it right back out to, to the other one and letting that guy penetrate. So I think it can work together. I think the real big key, though, is Clint Capella. Uh, you know, he's been playing really well in the preseason. He played great last year um, in only 24 minutes a game. I think 12 points, eight rebounds and a couple blocks or I think a little less than two blocks a game just in 24 minutes. He's in better shape this year. He's thicker this year. Um, you know, he's the kind of guy who can be you know, a combination of DeAndre Jordan, but shorter, um, and Amari Stoudemire with a worse jumper. He, he's he showed better touch than DeAndre Jordan ever had without dunking. Um, you know, he can he can hit layups, he can hit uh, jump hooks, he can hit stuff that uh, DeAndre Jordan doesn't shoot a very high percentage on. He can't really shoot out to 18 feet like Stoudemire can, but, um, you know, he also is a much better defender than Stoudemire and not quite as good as DeAndre, so he can be that kind of um, you know, that key linchpin uh, of these teams that are point guard dominated um, of shoring up the back line on defense, which I think he'll do a better job of um, setting great screens and rolling and, and opening up the lane. So I think he's the key. If he can take another leap forward, if he can get to 16 points, nine, 10 rebounds a game, two blocks a game, 28 to 30 minutes, um, I think that will make everything else much easier for, uh, you know, for the rest of the team. Yeah, with him, I think the issue is stamina. He's got to stay on the floor a little more and really play. I mean, even if he's not going to play a lot because, you know, Houston's going to go small at different points. Uh, they've run out that P.J. Tucker at the five lineup that's super interesting in the preseason. Even if that happens, you know, he still has to be playing at a high level in all of those minutes that he does play. I think that's still a big question. And and you're right that, I mean, he's the only guy on the team that is young, really. You know, that's an old team. It's a team of veterans, uh, which is not necessarily a bad thing. But, you know, they don't have, unless you count Troy Williams, they don't really have those, like, kind of intriguing young players, the Sam Deckers, the Heralds. Uh, Joe T. Joe T. Yes, that's right. Seven foot two, <laughs> shot blocking, three point shooting. Joe T. The ultimate NBA prospect. I'm sorry. I very much sorry that I left that out. Uh, you're right. Um, but yeah, no. I mean, they, they don't really have that. So they need Capella. Um, it's interesting. So you're not concerned about Harden and and CP3 either. It's. I think I've seen this conversation a lot of places where it's like, okay, that we're taking that those two kind of are going to get it. And you're so right that, I mean, they're not going to play a ton together all the time. I mean, they're going to stagger those minutes and like you can have the luxury of having one on the floor at all times. The only thing I'm a little worried about is that, and, and Jeremy, maybe you tell me if, I do, if I'm being like kind of off base here, is that, well, there are two things. One is that in crunch time, like what's going to happen? And I think... You look at Harden, obviously he has his crunch time issues, whereas Paul has been such a terrific crunch time player. How are they are we are we gonna see more of the James Harden dribbles for fifteen seconds and does nothing sort of crunch time office that really killed them in the playoffs last year? Are we gonna see something more fluid? How is that gonna work in those tight moments? And then the other question I have is like, okay, so right now it's all really nice. This is kind of the easy part. The other thing I'm just wondering is those two guys are very different personality-wise, and what happens if they go through a couple rough stretches in a December game 
and then it's on like them to deal. I mean, with the natural adversity that happens, you know, what, how is Paul, is Paul's intense style going to rub off on Harden? Is it going to butt heads with Harden? You know, is this what he needs? Is this not what he needs? I think those are questions that are still very much up in the air to me. Right. So I think when you see both of the Harden and Paul on the floor, I think what we're going to see more of is James is going to run the ball up. And I think Chris Paul is going to play very similar to a role that Patrick Beverly played last year, which is he's going to be that guy that can make a three. Keep in mind, Chris Paul made more than 40% of his threes last year. And 50% on spot-ups. Yeah, so I think that he's another weapon on the floor that, you know, from three. And when you have another guy like that that can score from three, it makes that offense just as dangerous as it was last year. So I think... When you see both of them on the floor, that's kind of where I think the the role will take. Although I do think that in games where you need to play maybe a little bit, um, in games where maybe the threes aren't hitting as much as they need to be, maybe they'll play a little bit more of a slower pace, and that's what they can do with Chris Paul. For instance, last night they played the Grizzlies, and Harden and Paul, their shots weren't falling, but they were still they were playing more of a defensive minded game and you know their defense looked strong last night it's almost as strong as any Rockets defense I've seen in a couple years ever since maybe Harden came to Houston Mm -hmm. but um basically giving Paul they're they're so similar and they're so different at the same time and that's what makes it so interesting is that Harden is a guy that you know will play up tempo will play that you know super fast-paced offense Chris Paul can be a little more traditional and he can a lot more you know, traditional. I'd say, well, keep it, keep it where it is. Play his uh, pick and roll game with Capella and Harden. That's the one thing they can do that's very similar is that they can both play that pick and roll game with Capella. And I think that is where the bread and butter of the offense is actually going to be this year. I think mm. Capella is going to put up all star numbers. Well, I mean, he's got to play a lot to be able to put up all star numbers. I guess we'll see. I think that. Clint Capella looks a lot more like the guy that the Rockets have been trying to develop. He's gained a lot more muscle. Um, he's built. He's not like that super skinny guy anymore that we saw a couple years ago. Um, he's only 23 years old, guys. He's still really, really raw, but he's he's so much better. He's getting so much better every year. And he Went five for five of, from the line last night also. Exactly. He was a terrible free throw shooter coming into the league, and now he's, you know... Now he's making them like he should be. And um, Clint Capella makes this team, in my opinion, Mm -hmm. as exciting as possible. Um, And I think that how Harden and Paul play with him is how well this team's going to be. Because if you you create that pick-and-roll threat, it makes you focus more attention on that. You have to put a big guy on the floor um, during that time. And that just opens up so much more space for your outside shooters, you know, your Gordons, your Bamute, Anderson, whoever's on the perimeter, it just makes it so much more open of an offense. And the Rockets can play you so many different ways, and that's what makes them a really dangerous team this year. That's a little more Clint Capella talk than I expected. So I guess now we know uh, one thing I was going to ask you all later in the show was what's something that's not being discussed enough that's a key to the season. I think we have our answer there. <laughs> I think we have our answer. You know, one, one last point on Paul and Harden, because, I mean, I know – it just feels like this is such an interesting union. It's one of those things that I think, with the way the team is set up, and we'll talk a little bit more about the rest of the roster, This, these sorts of questions are not going to matter except for like when they do at the Crucible. For most of the time, they don't have to play a ton together. They can trade off. They're, they have shown, like you guys have said, a, ma- a willingness and sort of motivation. You know, They kind of arrive to each other at the perfect time, Paul needing someone to help him win, hardening someone to help carry the load off of where he just got exhausted and that inexplicable Game 6 performance that I think will be talked about for a long time. And he, he's, they're both motivated to kind of overcome that. Um, it's just one of those things. So what, when it's the highest leverage situations, are those guys going to revert back to some of their bad habits? I think is a big question I have. And those high leverage situations are crunch time against a really good team and, you know, if they are struggling at a certain point. So I'm, that's what I'm curious to watch because – Certainly right now, you look at the way they're playing in the preseason, like, oof, 
I was a little skeptical that this team would be quite as good uh, coming into the preseason. The preseason, I know you don't want to take too much from it, but um, those guys seem to be clicking a lot faster than I thought. So that makes me excited. Uh, let's talk about the rest of the roster. So they did a lot of other things uh, this summer. They get P.J. Tucker. They get Luke Mbamute. Um, they try to trade for Melo. That obviously doesn't work out. I guess we can They talk didn't about. try that hard. <laughs> they tried as hard as they could, realistically. You know, um, they just didn't have much to trade. You know, it would have been, I mean, that would have been like shooting the moon to be able to get Paul and then also get Anthony with the remaining assets that, or lack of thereof, that they were, that were left. Um, so they weren't, I mean, I understand, they shouldn't have tried very hard by that standard. So they didn't get him, but they got a lot of other interesting pieces. Now they have this team that's got a lot of these wing players that are interchangeable and you will see a lot of them. How much better, Ethan, do you think this team is on paper Outside of the top two, how much better is the depth this year? Do you think it's a lot better, a little better, about the same? Is there any concern about regression from some of these other players that stick around? Uh, where, what do you think? I think it's mostly better. Um, I think uh, what will be the big – Beverly is the only guy that I truly care about losing from the, you know, from the people that we gave to – to the Clippers, you know, Harrell was a nice player, but, uh, you know, uh, D'Antoni didn't trust him and he never really grasped it on defense. Uh, the hustle never really translated to, you know, any, any more basketball ability. Decker, um, you know, never quite got his three point shot going, which is really the only way that he was going to get on the floor is if that, that hit at a consistent rate. So, but Beverly gave uh, an intangible quality to the Rockets. Um, that no one else did. He missed the first 10 games of the season last year and they went five and five. Um, and then he came back and they went 19 for their next 21, um, you know, and, and they basically continued that all the way throughout the playoffs. He was unbelievable in the, in the Thunder series and obviously made first team all defense. Um, but, you know, PJ Tucker is the same kind of hard nosed player. You know, he, his personality is not as kind of overwhelming as Beverly. I mean, Beverly plays in a way that everyone in the arena kind of viscerally, right. viscerally reacts to no matter what city he's in. If it's in Houston, you know, the arena goes nuts no matter what he did. And if it's in the other cities, everyone goes nuts about what he's doing. Yeah. P.J. Tucker's not that far off, though. P.J. Tucker's kind of close. Yeah. He, I mean, he's close as, close as the, anyone can way. be. <laughs> yeah. I, he, he doesn't have that extra level of crazy. I mean, but in terms in terms of the how he takes the gauntlet of, you know, guarding the best player and does not back down in any. But like, you know, you don't look in a PJ Tucker's eyes and, and like think like, oh, my God, <laughs> what is this person capable of? Like yeah. you do with Patrick Beverly. Um, so the, but I think other than that element um, that, again, we don't know that the Rockets necessarily won't have we just know that it, it will have to come from somewhere else and will that remains to be seen i think they're much more talented i think they're much deeper i mean Tarek black um you know is a guy who i think will be getting any minutes that harold got last year especially when nene is resting um and i think that's an improvement i think there's uh, you know mba mute and and tucker are huge improvements over Corey brewer who played a huge amount of minutes last year before he got traded um for lou williams um, and Bamute will, you know, will take minutes that, that Decker got. Um, and, you know, they got Lou, instead of, they don't need Lou Williams's creation anymore, which is why right. they traded for him last year because they have Chris Paul. So because they don't need that creation, they can use those minutes f for defense. And I think that for their bench was such a strength last year in the regular season, and it kind of collapsed in the playoffs because, um, you know, they just couldn't stop anyone and, you know, even though Lou Williams played well in the playoffs, it just wasn't enough. Um, so I think, you know, talent-wise, um, basketball fit, uh, the, especially the way they match up against the other Western Conference contenders, I think it is improved. But there's always that intangible factor that you can never quite, you can never quite know what's going to happen in, until it does. So that that's the one thing that worries me. It's not so much the mix of Paul and Harden. It's like what what does this team lose internally uh, from losing Beverly? That's an interesting thought. Um, also, because these guys are really good defensively, and they can, in theory, throw out these really fun wingy lineups with Bamute, with Ariza, with Tucker. Uh, they've, again, Tucker at the five a little bit. They still got Anderson and Gordon, who had great years last year, although Gordon tailed off a little bit uh, down the stretch. Um, so they when Anderson was unplayable in the playoffs. He, right. he stopped. He missed. He he shot something like twenty percent from three in the playoffs. And if he's going to do that, he can't play. Yeah, those guys wore down. But, you know, it's interesting you mentioned the playoff comment. Um, we got a question from Corbin Ford-Watson. Uh, 
about this, and I think this is actually a very interesting window into how the rest of this team is going to look. You know, what he says, um, is shooting actually a strength of this team? Which sounds like a weird question, but here's how he explains it, and I think he's on to something. Um, you know, they obviously have great shooters, but when when and if Anderson becomes like difficult to play in those really high-leverage matchups and you have to go with more of this wing-heavy lineup, do these guys have enough shooting so teams not to shrink the floor? And then I think to think about that question a little further, like what, Jeremy, what do you think is their best closing lineup? I've thought about this for a couple of days now because it was it was posed, I want to say, in, in one of our comment sections on the Dream Shake. Mm-hmm. Uh, Ethan kind of mentioned it a little bit too. Um, but I think, honestly, I think it's going to be about who's, who's hot in the game. I, I really do. Because you really can make an argument for any of the rotation players to be in in the closing lineup. Capella and Nene are pretty interchangeable. Um, I would assume you have Harden and, uh, Harden and Chris Paul out there, but then there's also Eric Gordon. And then, you know, what if he's playing well? Or what if you need more defense? It, it's going to matter about who the opponent is, well, it's it's uh, a good problem to have, and also like sort of in a way a problem to have because you do have to make these trade offs a little bit, you know. And it's it's you're right that they're if you're playing the Warriors, you probably want more of those wings on the court. And this is probably a good time to talk about how they match up with the Warriors. Um, but if you that would mean you'd have to either you probably have to sit Eric Gordon if you're going to play Eric Gordon down the stretch, then James Harden's going to have to guard a three. Unless you play both wings, and then Clint Capella is not going to be in. And then you still have to decide Ariza, uh, P.J. Tucker. I mean, are those guys great threats from three? I do think it's – like they did pretty well for themselves to collect this roster and assemble these players. But it is going to be interesting to see how they really juggle those matchups. I think it might be a little – in certain playoff situations, I think they may have trouble, ironically, with having guys who are not threats on the perimeter in the very best matchups. But – it's nice to have the options. So uh, let's talk about the Warriors, though. So how do these guys match up? I think phenomenally. I mean, uh, uh, you know, as, let, me, let me rephrase. I think as well as any right. other team <laughs> in the NBA can. Um, I think Pachulia will, uh, you know, if, if the you know Warriors continue to start Zaza Pachulia all year, um, you know, he'll be completely overmatched against either, frankly, either of the Rocket centers in Capella and Nene. Um, you know, if the Warriors go to their death lineup, like you said, P.J. Tucker at the five, not a bad Draymond Green matchup. Um, you know, he, he gives up a little size, um, but he's really strong and can kind of keep Draymond Green out of the lane a little bit, um, you know, on defense as well. Um, and, you know, the, the Warriors can't... Uh, they would put Steph Curry on, I guess, Trevor Ariza. I mean, or one of, uh, you know, one of Harden or Paul. And, uh, you know, it's just they would give the, the Warriors some problems uh, defensively. And I think, you know, uh, uh, on the other end, the Rockets have answers. You know, last year uh, they just would have had to rely on Trevor Ariza and really no one else on Kevin Durant. They didn't have anyone else who could guard him. Um, Bob Mute has done a great job on Durant um, over, over the years, uh, you know, as well as anyone in, in the league frankly, other than, you know, your Kawhi Leonard's. Um, and, you know, Ariza can still guard him for stretches. Um, Tucker could guard him. Uh, you know, they have multiple guys they could throw at, um, you know, throw at the different players. I mean, Trevor Ariza spent time on Mike Conley last night, um, and I think that's one way that D'Antoni might save both of his Hall of Fame point guards um, is sticking Trevor Ariza on the, uh, you know, on the opposing point guard. Harden can always play up. Harden guarded Draymond Green a lot last year when they got matched up, and he actually does really well guarding power forwards. I think he really likes that. I think that's part of the reason why he wore down so much um, in the in the conference semis against the Spurs because he was guarding uh, LaMarcus Aldridge for six games. Yeah, uh, yeah. So, uh, so, but I think if he's doing less on offense, that becomes a little easier easier on him uh, and assuming that he's in he's in great shape throughout the year. Um, so I think they watch match up as well as any team can in, in the NBA just because they have so much more flexibility um, with their bench. Uh, and and they, they go 10 deep, even though Gentilly never will, but they could if they wanted to. Right. I think I think the big the big factor on this team this year is the fact that you got you got Bamute, you got um, PJ Tucker and they will take some of Trevor Ariza's minutes and Trevor Ariza. He played over 34 minutes a game last year, and as a 31-year-old who, you know, came in the league as a high school player, so this is year 
I want to say year 13 or so for Trevor Ariza. It's been around. It, it, he, yeah, he's starting to pick up a little, um, a lot of mileage. So I think getting guys like Bamute and Tucker to take some of those minutes will pay off in the playoffs. And I want to see a nine-man rotation in the playoffs. And I think that's honestly a big reason why the Rockets uh, went out in game six last year is because they went only eight deep. They He wasn't comfortable playing Sam Decker. But now you have a team who is or should be more experienced in the playoffs with uh, Bob Mute, with the Clippers, and, you know, P.J. Tucker, I guess, not as much playoff experience, but he was with the Raptors last year in the conference semis. Uh, I think he'd be uh, D'Antoni would be more willing to play those guys um, against the Warriors just because also they're more defensive-minded, and I think that um, they will give the team a little more stamina down the stretch. Um I do think, however, that this team will need an injury from the Warriors in order to well, yeah. really win a seven-game series still. and I think, But I honestly still think that the Rockets have really done all they could in terms of getting a guy. Although, there is one thing to point out that this team is, is still incomplete and that Daryl Morey is going to make a deal at some point in the year, likely in February, for another piece to make this team as as good as it possibly can and i'm not sure exactly who it's going to be i reckon or, or how yeah <laughs> um because i don't see any of those first nine going anywhere this season um but it will be interesting to see how how this team meshes against the warriors i think that uh this team is the best matched up with the warriors i just worry though about um maybe how they match up to other teams. But if we're cha- we're chasing the Warriors... Who, who do they struggle against, do you think? Is it San Antonio still? I'm a little worried about San Antonio, um, just because they always seem to find a way to um, to beat us. Um, yep. And that largely is because of their three-point shooting. Um, that's, that's probably the only team that can really match up with, with Houston and Golden State. Um, and I think... I think we'd be crazy not to think about Oklahoma City as a threat as well because of their big three. I get that it was a you know five-game win for the Rockets last year, but the Thunder are better this year. And with Sam Presti and what he's been able to do with that roster, he'll be able to do more with it. Um, he was able to get uh, Taj Gibson and Doug McDermott for nothing, and then he flipped. Uh, he basically flipped Serge Ibaka for um, Paul George. Yeah, I mean, Spressy did an amazing job. So, yeah, I mean, Oklahoma City's athleticism will be an interesting challenge. I mean, the thing the thing I worry about a little bit with the Rockets, and I think you, you address one thing. Um, I feel like I've spent a lot of this time worrying about this team. Like, they're going to be really good. And I agree with you that it's a nice mix to take on the Warriors. It's a good mix that's deeper. It's the kind of mix that where you guys are making good points. Like some of these guys, at least in theory, we'll see how D'Antoni plays the rotation. This is a very anti-D'Antoni way of thinking uh, historically. Maybe he's changing, though, uh, with uh, the roster he has. They can play more guys fewer minutes, um, and that will help. But, you know, this is the one question I put on here, and I know this is like a Debbie Downer bit of a question, but I just I'm just a little worried that this team is old. You know, they've got a lot of guys who are in their 30s. And so, and they also have two guys in Gordon and Anderson with injury histories that avoided them. You know, maybe that's permanent because they're out of the New Orleans bubble <laughs> of training. But here's, here's my question to you. Like, what do you think is perhaps le- more likely or, like, least damaging to the Rockets' hopes if one of these things happens? One, Paul declines uh, quite a bit. Maybe not quite a bit, but he's still a very good player, but he's not you know, the player he was just because of age, uh, but he's still reasonably effective. Either or both of Tucker and Ariza just really fall off as players, like they just kind of lose it uh, in some way. Or Gordon and or Anderson miss, like, their injury bug bites them again, and they miss a good deal of time. Which of those three scenarios do you think is probably least damaging to the Rockets' hopes? Uh, I would probably say... uh, uh step back from Ariza or Tucker. Uh, if it's one of them from both then right. kind of screwed. But, uh, yeah. uh, but if you know, there's, they can, they're basically interchangeable in my mind. I, Ariza will start because he, you know, he has the experience and, and the reps along, alongside Harden and he's, you know, he's Chris Paul's good buddy. 
but you know, if he goes through a, a slump and it's it's February and he's shooting thirty one percent from three, and you know he's not really staying in front of people, and and Tucker is you know shooting thirty eight, and you know when he comes in, the team kind of lifts up. I, you know, I think that the Rockets can survive, and I think it'll make sense to to make a move uh, to to put Tucker to put Tucker there and reduce Ariza's minutes. And I, I don't think there'd be too much of a drop off. I think a drop off from Chris Paul, um, you know, even if he's still very good, would you know it. Maybe not. The, it wouldn't be too damaging to the regular season because that's when D'Antoni teams are built to thrive. Um, but you know, if if Paul's eighty percent of himself, you know, they don't really have a chance against the Warriors. Um, and deal with Gordon and Anderson. They're both so key. They're shooting, especially from beyond the arc. You know, I, I remember Espionage did a great piece last year about how they space to like 28, 29 feet, and it really yeah. opens up the floor. Yeah. That's still going to be the case. Um, and they really need those guys to do that. I think they could kind of weather an Anderson injury um, more than a Gordon injury. Gordon's so Gordon was so big for the team last year, and he's been so good in the preseason. He looks fan- fantastic. If he goes down for a long stretch of time, that bench unit is going to really, um, you know, even though they'll have Harden and, and Harden and or Paul there, um, they, they'll probably struggle to score to some degree because Gordon is is so electric. I mean, he's shooting like something like sixty percent from deep uh, from three. Uh, in the preseason, he shot like 42% last year. I think that'll go up. I think he's going to hit 45% this year because he'll be even more open. Um, you know, he's in better shape. He lost weight from last year. I know we're all in hashtag muscle watch. Um, but <laughs> he, you know, I, I, I really think that Gordon's going to be even better this year. I think he just last year was so key for his uh, for his career. I think it was a turning point in his career. And I think the next three years that he's under contract and use are going to be as long as he's healthy. And I think he'll, he'll be healthier here than he was in New Orleans. I think will be really, really huge for him and for the, and for the team. I think he's going to be, he's going to be one of the best contracts um, in the league, you know, after, after four years, I mean, like, man, that's going to, that was four years of a great contract. People just... Stays healthy. Jeremy, do you agree with that? I think any of these would be uh, catastrophic for the team because catastrophic, this... huh? Wow. I think, I, I think... Well, it's interesting because I feel like I'm not saying that these, I think it's like decently like possible that one of those three things happens. Oh yeah, I think I think last year um, we got lucky with the injury bug a little bit, um, but also Chris Paul has an injury history too, um, so I'm a little worried about that. Which makes if Chris Paul goes down, then I think that you know Eric Gordon can pick up the piece, the pieces, and that won't be as as terrible. Um, but I think that this team. Is we're, we're chasing the Warriors still, and all these pieces are going to be necessary in order to beat the Warriors. And we have very little room for error, I think. And I think that this is the best team that Daryl Morey can create. I think it's going to be very, very hard to come up with a roster better than this. And I think that this team has two years to get over the hump. And I think if, if we see two years go by and this team is not the team that we're looking for, then I think uh, we're going to start um, we're going to start declining because I think, well, you have Anderson with three years left on the deal. P.J. Tucker has four, but the last year is not guaranteed. And I don't think that um, he's going to make all four years of that deal. Um, Bob Muti is a free agent after this year. Capella is a restricted free agent. Well, well there's uh, the one guy who you haven't mentioned yet, which is most importantly is a free agent after this year. <laughs> that is yeah, Chris Paul. Paul. I, I think that Chris Paul is planning on staying here longer than this year. But clearly, if this team is not the team that he thought it was going to be, then he's not going to be back. But um, I do think that this is I, – I do see Chris Paul lasting longer than a season here. Um, I don't think it's going to go that poorly. Um, but – this is this your this team right here is the best chance you're gonna get at beating the Warriors. And if anything, but if anything goes wrong, it will hurt their chances significantly. And in in terms of the question, I would actually go with Gordon and Anderson um, mm. because they create so much. Um, because I feel like if you see a down, um, if you see a decline from either Ariza or Tucker. Bob Mute's there, and I think that um, I think that the wing position is so much um, is is deeper than it's ever been, and I think that's going to really help out the team a lot. Um, and those three guys can really any one of those three guys can guard the best player on any team. They, they any three of those guys can guard Durant. 
can guard Kawhi Leonard, they can guard LeBron, whoever it may be. But um, so I, I think that that position is is set. I worry though about Gordon and Anderson because they are guys that you you can't leave open, and they they're they're going to find their shots. They're going to find their shots um, wherever they are on the floor. If you take that away from the offense, it really puts this team at a disadvantage, especially Eric Gordon, because Eric Gordon, you know, he didn't win six man of the year last year on for nothing. I think, you know, he's going to be seen less as a creator this year just because he's going to have either Chris Paul or James Harden on the floor at all times. But I, if Eric Gordon is not on this team this year and he, you know, finds a way to get hurt, um, which can happen. I do think that uh, you bring up a good point, Mike, that they do have an injury history. Yeah. Um, but and and um, Anderson was hurt for a little bit last year towards the end of the season. Uh, came back just in time for the playoffs. But if Gordon and Anderson go down, it changes this offense. It, it makes this offense very different than it is. Yeah, you know? absolutely. So I would say. And it, it doesn't allow them to shoot, you know, 50 times a game. The the thing about shooting being a weakness that Corbin brought up, right. um, he does bring up a good point. But the Rockets shoot so much from beyond uh, from the beyond the three point line that it's going to go in eventually. Right. I, I think the the question is more interesting is if in the playoffs because in the regular season they just pile so many threes up. You know, but right. in the playoffs, can you scheme them a little bit? I think that's sort of the interesting thing with that, and we're going to see. And I, I'll say this about the Rockets, and you know, I, I maybe I seem like I'm a little skeptical of them, and I, I just I'm worried, I guess, just because I think it should work, but I, I just I have some reasons that it doesn't. I definitely feel a lot better than them about them watching watching the preseason, but I so much respect that Daryl Morey is going for it because. Yeah, you talked about a two-year window. Like to me, this is like a year-to-year window until we know Chris Paul is locked up. You know, then it's then it's a year-to-year window. And those guys, you know, who knows? Even if it's like a prudent decision to give him a five-year max after this year, um, but Daryl Moore didn't care about any of that. He wanted to build the best team possible right now, and he did so much to be able to make it work with Chris Paul's help, obviously. And they're going for it, and this is the this is kind of nice and refreshing. I, if I'm a Rockets fan right now, I, I I'm very happy with how I can look at my GM in the mirror, and I can look at my team in the mirror, and I can see that they just won't settle for something. You know, they won't settle for uh, a certain level, and it could really not work out. But they're they're going for it, so I love that. Here's yeah. a here's my last question I want to ask you guys before we get to the banana boat question, which is. Realistically, they probably ain't being the Warriors. I think you guys know that, right? I think it would be—it's unlikely that they would have a chance to win that series. I think some a lot would have to go right, right? Yeah, I yeah, suppose. I think, yeah, I think a lot. I think the Warriors would have to be completely off their shot, um, and someone's gonna have to go really cold, either Steph or Clay, um, or or two of them, if possible. Right. Um, yeah. So it, it's unlikely. We we can. Agree. It's very unlikely we can agree. So what? What is actually a good season for the Rockets then? Where can you, short of beating the Warriors in this incredibly unlikely scenario, how do you look at yourself as a Rockets fan and say, you know what, that was a good season. We got what we needed. We, we had a successful year. What has to happen, Jeremy? I think um, you got to take a step forward and go make the conference finals. I think that, you know, seeing progress is going to be important for this team because you don't want to go – into a situation where oh you made it to the conference semis last year you did all this work you got chris paul you got pj tucker and what was the result nothing it was like when lamarcus aldridge went from portland to san antonio to go win and portland and san antonio got eliminated in the same round that year so um they've made all these trades acquisitions and for them to make progress would be a successful season if they didn't make progress it wouldn't be a successful season so I think that Rockets fans will be happy. I think they know where we stand in the NBA um, in terms of, you know, we might not be as good as the Warriors. So if we lose to the Warriors, I think people will be more understanding. It will obviously be disappointing just because if they get to that point in the season, it will be pretty far. So I would say if they got to the conference semis, Daryl Morey said this last year, if you make the final four, it's considered a successful season, and I'm going to go by what Daryl Morey says. And if you make the Final Four, it'll be a successful season. Ethan, do you agree? I mean, is there anything other than just where how far they go that you're looking at and saying, 
this will judge whether this worked or not. You know, maybe something aesthetically, maybe something about how certain players develop. I, you know, I totally agree with Jeremy that they need to make the Western Conference Finals. And I think more importantly, they need to go to game six uh, because uh, three years three years ago, yeah, uh, the Rockets made the Conference Finals against the Warriors uh, and they, they got balanced in five games. So I think an improvement on that to me is something I'm looking for. Uh, so that's number one. Number two, the Rockets have never won 60 games as a franchise. Um, and th- I think this is their this team is their best shot to do it. Uh, last year, I think if, Clicka- if Patrick Beverly and Clickapella had both been healthy all year, I think they might have gotten there. I mean, five wins is it's both a lot and not not a lot in the, in the NBA, especially the wins from 55 to 60. That's a big mountain to climb. But I, I think they can get to 60. Uh, but I would really love the, the C team's first ever 60 win team. I think 58 is their um, best record. Okay. 60. Such a pretty number in terms of wins. And the third thing is like the general excitement among the players for each other. The Rockets 41 and 41 being Twitter during Rockets games and seeing, you know, non-Rockets fans tweet about how miserable everyone looks. Oh god, I hated that year. I can't I'm actually mad at you that you reminded me of that year. That was a miserable experience and I did not even root for them. That was miserable. I can't imagine how you guys felt. Pretty pretty terrible. That was the Uh, yeah. Oh, man. Yeah. Ty Lawson was trading for a guy who, who who got two DUIs, and that's why he was available, um, and then whatever happened there. So, basically, but the team hated each other then, and, you know, there were some camps in the locker room. So, it, it, harmony is what I'm looking for. Harmony mm-hmm. uh, on a basketball court. Like, you can see when, you know, Chris Paul is cheering on the bench when Harden does something, and vice versa. Um, you know, I think Bobby Brown, you know, he's like a running joke among Rockets fans. But Bobby Brown has a really important role to play, um, which is he's really close to both Harden and Paul. Um, and he's the first guy off the bench and every time out the high five dudes. So if more guys can kind of be be embrace their inner Bobby Browns, um, I think, then it'll just be a happy place. And I think that's what will convince Chris Paul to stay. If Even if the Rockets don't ultimately succeed, um, where is he going to go that's going to give him a better chance than playing alongside 29, 30, 31-year-old James Harden? So if he has... Well, if he plays alongside LeBron... I guess so, but, I mean, where is LeBron going to go? Right. No, I, yeah, I mean, we're, we're talking in, like, Matt, way out there hypotheticals now. Yeah, and Chris, <laughs> Paul's, and Chris Paul's smart enough to kind of know where he fits in the league and, 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 you know, to know, I think, what's a realistic ask of both other teams and himself. Um, so I think if he, I think if he finds himself in a good basketball situation, a good personal situation with his colleagues, um, I think that will be successful, and it'll, it'll breed more success down the road. The Rockets need to channel their inner Bobby Brown. That's the yeah. title of the podcast right there. <laughs> Nobody will understand. I like it. All right, well, we've we've hit on all the, the good stuff. Before we get to the final predictions, i got to ask the question that we ask everybody on these shows. You have the opportunity to go on a banana boat with three members of Rockets history, a la CP3, uh, <laughs> Mello, LeBron, all those guys. You get to pick any three Rockets of all time that you'd like to kind of hang out with. You can have whatever reasons you want. Jeremy, it's you and three other Rockets of who you got. I gotta take, I gotta take Beverly on my banana boat. I have to. Uh, he's my favorite Rocket of all time, um, and I'm a I'm a pretty new wave Rockets fan, I guess. Um, my first, my first uh, era of Rockets was the T Mac era, and then I've you know really followed the team ever since. Um, but Patrick Beverly is my favorite Rocket of all time. Um, I would say second, you got to have professional best friend Bobby Brown on the banana boat. <laughs> Bobby Brown, Life, Lifetime rocket, Bobby Brown. He, he's professional best friend, Bobby Brown. Um, and I was, I was debating back and forth on this one because, you know, I, I am a Rockets historian, if you will. So I've, I've only followed the team since T-Mac, but I've read the stories of, you know, Clutch City and all that. And Vernon Maxwell is the Clutch City version of Patrick Beverly. But in between him and former professional best friend, Costas Papa Nicolau. Oh, my. Oh my wow. That is, that is a deep pull. Oh, my God. Wow. This is the weirdest man out of I'm gonna go with uh, I'm gonna go with Vernon Maxwell because oh how could you say no to Vernon Maxwell? 
And if so Vernon Maxwell and Patrick Beverly are in your banana boat crew, you will Vernon Maxwell any other Patrick banana boat. And, um, Bobby Brown. That might be a little. I think if you have one of them, then I would be with you. But like both of them, <laughs> you know, like how you can only have like one kind of crazy dude in a lot on a in a locker room. I think this is sort of the same thing. Uh, it might be a little too much. Um, yeah, there's a combustible banana banana boat. <laughs> yeah, it could it could blow up real quick. Uh, but you know what? Like I, I admire your uh, risque behavior here. I admire your boldness, uh, Ethan. Who's on your boat? Kim Olajuwon is like, obviously he's yeah. he's the legend. He's the dream. Uh, you know, he's the namesake of our blog, and he's my favorite professional athlete of all time. So Kim Olajuwon, I almost don't even care who's the next two guys. Uh, and at risk of my banana boat completely sinking to the bottom of whatever body of water we're on, also Yao Ming, uh, because he just seems like a delightful, fascinating guy. Um, stories of his sense of humor uh, in Houston were legendary when he was on the rock. And for mix it up with those dudes, he was more entertaining uh, in a story setting than Robert Ory. Uh, Robert you know, Ory. Robert Ory okay. so much fun uh, in, 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 any, in any situation here in like, his stories and so i think ori uh yeah and, and the dream and if we would really say we need a very large banana boat right see i would have had dikembe yao and hakeem uh that, that's a good one dikembe would be fun uh but ori just seems like ori's pretty good too yeah ori's pretty good too. Mac and you gotta have someone like that yeah absolutely all right well those are good banana boats um real quick though let's get to Predictions, do you guys both have these teams reaching the conference finals, yes or no? Jeremy, yes or no? Yes. Ethan, yes or no? Uh, yes on that. Yes, okay. How many games against the Warriors? I think it goes seven. Seven? Jeremy? I think it goes seven. Seven games. Seven for both of you, okay. I'll go with six. Six, okay. How many regular season wins, Jeremy? Fifty-seven. Ethan? I really want him to hit 60, but I'm feeling 59 for this crew. I'll split the difference and go 58. That would be the two seed for you guys or lower? I think it's a two seed with this West. I I think the Thunder will take longer to gel. I think it's going to be between them and San Antonio, but it really honestly doesn't matter because I think it's going to be, I think it's going to be Houston and San Antonio in that second round series. Um, Depending on how quick the Spurs get together with Kawhi being hurt, Tony Parker being hurt. Um, I think they'll be number three, actually. I think the Spurs are going to find a way somehow. They always do. So I think third seed for the Rockets this year makes a little more sense. I was going to hot take this and go fourth seed because I really like the Thunder, but I don't think I can do it. And I'm just, I I have no idea what seed they'll be. They're going to be really damn good. The Thunder's bench is what worries me a little bit for them. Um, Although I think that Sam Presti is going to build that bench later in the season. That's what's going to make them a pretty dangerous team come playoff time. I kind of hope they knock off the Warriors for us, kind of how the Yankees knocked off the Indians for my Astros. But Oh, that's right. Yeah. That series starts when? Friday? Friday. Friday. Yeah, I I don't know what the seeding is going to be. I, I think the Thunder have the same ability, maybe not quite as easily, but the same ability to just stagger their stars to make up for what you're talking about. But, man, it's, uh, that is going to be an incredible Western Conference. I think all those teams could win 60 games, and I don't know which one will and which one won't. It's going to be absolutely terrific. Um, I give you guys one last chance. Give one wild card prediction of any kind of what you want. Uh, bold prediction, not bold prediction, any sort of prediction at all. What do you got, Ethan? Chris Paul and James Harden are, the, I believe, the first teammates in NBA history to both average nine assists or more a game. Fat, ooh, that's a good one. Yeah, that is a good one. Jeremy, what do you, bold, random prediction. Clint Capella averages a double-double this year. Okay. Nice. All right. That's the Houston Rockets, a really fascinating team with uh, that I'm really excited to see. Uh, one of the least most fun teams last year, and they went out, made some big moves in the summer. Really curious to see intellectually how the CP3 Harden things works out. I think it's one of those things that if you're a basketball junkie, you can imagine all the different ways that it'll work, uh, and it's really intriguing to see how Mike D'Antonio will make it work. Uh, so it's great. Ethan Rothstein, Jeremy Brenner, thank you guys for joining us. Thanks, Mike. Appreciate it. Thanks for having me. 
And we are almost done. we got two more teams left. The only two teams that had better records than the Rockets last year, the San Antonio Spurs and uh, the Chicago Bulls. I don't know. Who's the other team that finished with a better record? San Antonio, right? Yeah. San Antonio and San Antonio. That's just those two. No, nah, it's the Golden State Warriors. <laughs> the other team. Those are the only two teams left in our countdown. You can listen again to the 26 other teams that finished worse than the Rockets last year back on our feed. We preview these teams with our SB Nation bloggers. Also, by the way, check out the SB Nation NBA preview out now, including some words from your friend Ethan Rothstein in the Houston Rockets section, as well as some survey answers yes, from Ethan and Jeremy. Yes? Yes. So, uh, yeah, check that out on SBNation.com. Uh, I think we'll find this really illuminating. Uh, and until next time, this is a limited upside podcast. Peace.